Rick Madison here with Mark Burley, the Executive Director of the Downtown Kelowna Association. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So how long have you been in this position? About three and a half years. I started November of 2018. So, you know, it's kind of like that picture that you get of people going into the presidency of the United States, and then you see the the picture of them when they leave. (laughs) That. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> well, it's not an easy position. Would you would you no. agree with that statement that it's not an easy position to be in to to really harness the power that is downtown? But you have a lot of personalities downtown. Yeah. Well, you have. Uh, everybody has an opinion. Everybody has their own interests, their own goals, and how they want to get there. And it's trying to. How can you put it? Do uh, do the thing that you think's right, but you also have to stick with your own convictions mm-hmm. about different things on how the association operates. Uh, I'm fortunate to have a great working relationship with our board of directors, uh, but also knowing when an opportunity presents itself and your gut tells you it's the right thing is advocating for that to continue and move forward. Whether it doesn't matter whether that's an event, a promotion, safety and security, whatever. I think I think that's the most important part of it. I, I, I think what's great about having worked with you, full disclosure, I do work with Mark, is that you've you've basically take on this uh, I don't know, I wanna say uh, calmness about everything like I mean maybe (laughs) on the surface maybe on the surface but it seems like you you roll with things very well yeah I try to having come from a corporate world where I let stress get the better of me I don't do that anymore because basically we're all responsible for our own stress so I have uh you know, it took, you know, you're talking about the president before, and it's kind of an interesting thing. There is that hundred days mm-hmm. in any new job, whether it was coming from another part of the country to be a program director or moving into this job as uh, the executive director. There's that first little amount of time where you just have to learn how things work. Mm-hmm. And for me, this time, because it wasn't in an industry that I quote unquote grew up in, it was 200 days because there was a lot to learn about not only how the DKA operates, but a lot to learn about how the city works, how the RCMP work, mm-hmm. and how bylaw. And a lot of time in the first couple of years, especially since at the end of just after, well, about 15 months into this, the pandemic hit, was developing relationships with all of those agencies that would help me make my job easier. Right. So, Mark, you've uh, you've been there for a while. Obviously, you've you've been through a whole bunch of, of different change. Mm-hmm. How important, and, and this is a bit of a leading question, and I get that, how important is a downtown to a community? Like, how important is a, is a downtown going to be? Because, I mean, people have heard the term... You know, it's the heartbeat of any of any city. But why do you believe you believe, and not something you've read? But why do you think it's so important for us to have a vibrant downtown? Well, since I moved to Kelowna, I've worked downtown, so it's I like that we can move around. I think that the downtown core is important because you can walk into 
a chain store or a chain business uh, or whatever and buy whatever it is in there and you can go to the store next door that's owned by bob and joan and have had it for 20 years it is the heartbeat of small business for any community because it's grouped together so that's what makes a downtown important right there is that all those small businesses are there now for Kelowna, that is going to grow and contribute to the success of those small businesses as we get more residents downtown, which we're all talking about. It's, it's in media everywhere is about all the residential towers that are coming in. But we also add in retail with that because all of these buildings are mixed use. They have commercial retail opportunities at the ground level. So we'll have even more of those kinds of businesses. So you can move around in a couple of hours and go to pretty much any kind of category of business you need to visit and buy or eat or get whatever it is you need to get done, done in a downtown. Could we move to a to an area where we don't need the cars downtown? Like, do you think we could actually get there where we... You could live and work and all that kind of stuff downtown? Sure. Why not? It, it's, you know, um, people who move around and live in downtowns are a lot younger than I am or in my age group, which is, you know, getting close to retirement, that um, when you don't need a car, you get up, you move around, you're walking, you're riding a bike. If you're if you're really into it, you can use a scooter or an e-bike and, and move around and I've done that. I've had gone from my office, which is in the 200 block of Bernard, down near Sales and on that. If I got, a, I had to get to the train station, I was running late. I climbed on an e-bike for the first time, and I found it extremely exhilarating. So I think that you can do that in a downtown. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be a Toronto, because mm-hmm. I know of many people who've moved to Toronto and actually gotten rid of their cars and just rent them when they need them to go back to the smaller cities that surround it. So downtown Kelowna, you can move around. What it needs to be a real hub is a better transit system to move people out to the other four urban centers that have been identified by the city as important to the growth of Kelowna. Mm-hmm. So Mark... Um, the, the scooters created a lot of different kinds of press when they were first introduced. Bad execution. (laughs) Okay. Um, but you know what? It's funny. I was in Medicine Hat, Alberta this last weekend. They have just launched the same program. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm chatting with citizens of Medicine Hat and I said, Hey, have any orthopedic surgeons uh, gone on the <laughs> gone in the media and said that these are a horrible idea? And uh, they said, you know what? Um, they they had the same issue, which was the first month uh, they had higher incidents because you know obviously there was a lot of people trying them out, not mm-hmm. knowing how fast they yeah. went. Oh, they had a whole bunch of different challenges, the same challenges we did. So. I, I I don't know. Maybe I haven't monitored the media enough. But are we are we past the hump? You think with those scooters? Oh, definitely. Uh, it's changed this year compared to last year. Last year, once it was okay to go, we had four different players. They flooded downtown with a whole bunch of scooters. Nobody knew what they were doing. There were no restrictions. People were driving them on the sidewalk. I almost got taken out a couple of times. Although I can say. Over 10 years ago, I had a guy take me out at the corner of Bernard and Water riding his bike down the sidewalk, right. which I'll never understand. So the this year, we only have two players. 
-hmm. And we have two excellent operators in Lime and uh, Spin. So okay. they're, and they've brought e-bikes too. So there are some who don't want to try the scooter, maybe a little bit nervous about balance, but I'm down there every day and I'm watching. I see people moving around. They're out on the street finally. Um, it still scares me when I see somebody zip by without a helmet on because mm -hmm. I would be afraid of falling and doing that. Uh, a gentleman that I know that lives in Pandozi Village, he came uh, flying by on an e-bike, uh, headed to wherever he was and yelled, hey, Mark, as he was going by. So I, it just doesn't feel that there's that uh massive discontent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that there was last year. And I didn't disagree with the discontent at the time either. Yeah. And I think that's the key is what I always advocated for was the innovation. Like when, with any innovation or, or new technology in this case, um, there's going to be a growing pains associated with that. And I always applaud the city when they try something, because if you look at it from the city's point of view, they have a, an operator that says, we'll take care of the infrastructure. We'll take care of the costs of operating everything else. We'll put distribution. Like we will create everything. We just need the license to do so. Correct. The city is going to go, yes, all day. And, and hopefully, like I said, I'm so happy our city, our, our citizens got over this hump of, of trying to make it seem like an evil thing because it really wasn't. If you've ever been on a scooter, and yes, I'm talking to you people, <laughs> You people that have, have not tried the scooters out, any, each and all of you, I, I, you know what? It's fun. It's, it's a thrill. I mean, I, yeah, I completely enjoy it. I get on there with the kids and, and well, it's, it's like being a kid again, honestly. It is. It's, it's yeah, and it's easy to operate, know the restrictions. And I think though, to your point, applauding the city for bringing this kind of thing in, the city also has to be open to change changing the program as it progresses and gets different like the they've been banned on bernard for example because of things going well they have the technology to govern the speed of, right. of the the scooters like so a maybe, golf cart like a golf cart going off the path in a golf exactly. course exactly so maybe that's that can be revisited that we can okay you can use a scooter now but it's governed and it's slowed down Mm -hmm. And it's not zipping by people who are walking up and down in the summer during Meet Me on Bernard, for example. Exactly. So, and it also, we have a lot of tourists in the summertime. And last year I found myself a lot of time uh, at one of the setups that are at the intersections reminding people as they're looking at the at the scooter about Durant that they can't ride it on Bernard, that they'd have to go around in that because a lot of people were renting it getting out and then it didn't shut down until you know several feet into the thing and they'd already spent the money oh i see okay yeah so yeah growing pains yeah as exactly you said. great downtown Kelowna changes over the summer and and before we get into all the the fun stuff associated with mm -hmm. closing bernard down and meet me on bernard what how much work was it to bring this thing <laughs> into light because i would think especially given downtown and, and, and there's a whole bunch of different personalities around the table, but it seems like a Herculean effort to get it to where it is right now. To get it where, yeah, this will be year three. Yeah. The first year was the first year of the closure was 2020. That was pretty much done ad hoc. It, it moved along pretty quickly from 
the mayor speaking with me, me speaking with the executive and the board. And it it came from a good place. And I think that got missed in 2020, uh, given the amount of news coverage we got about the negativity uh, from, you know, certain people, certain blocks, certain businesses, which I totally understand. But I think it was like the city and, and in particular, the mayor had their heart in the right place. And that was to provide this open space, which is six meters wide, 20 feet, down the middle of the busiest downtown street outside of Ellis in downtown Kelowna, and allow for there to be that space when we really didn't know what was going on with COVID. We didn't know how to react to it. People were not you know, they were using this social distancing term, which I absolutely despise. I think it's physical distancing because I'm like you, I'm too social. I can't be distant that way. <laughs> but I just thought they they were coming from the right place. We all were. And I think that got lost in the shuffle somewhere in there because there was all the other noise mm -hmm. going on of public health orders. Should we wear a mask? Should we not? When's the vaccine coming? There were all these other things. Oh, I'm not going to go downtown because I don't want to get sick. But the funny part was, the anecdotally, was this beautiful six-foot-wide thing. And I've said this to you before. Nobody used it except the bikes. Everybody still stayed on the sidewalk. And we saw people at the corner, say, of uh, Water and Bernard to cross from Blends across to BMO and they'd wait for the light to turn green because <laughs> it's Pavlog's dog well, kind of thing. Habitual, right? yeah. 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 So yeah. now it's then go to 2021. That's where we had created this partnership with the city. Um, Chris Babcock from the events department and myself hit the streets in February and walked in and out of businesses talking about Meet Me on Bernard, and we still had the naysayers who didn't want to do it, which we understood. But again, this is one of those things that I was speaking to before about you know in your gut it's right. Mm -hmm. It's going to work. So we planned all of these different events and things to happen, some of which we were able to pull off, others we weren't. If we all remember last summer, there was a little bit of smoke and a little bit of heat and maybe a changing public health order or two in there. Um, and, you know, and then the tragedy we had at the beginning of the summer mm -hmm. at, the, uh, at the construction site. So uh, we managed to squeeze some stuff in, particularly between Pandozi and St. Paul, which is what we were concentrating on because the other two blocks have a lot of restaurants and they're naturally busy. So we're trying to pull the traffic up there. So we tried these, but again, you know, for example, we had live entertainment from Festivals Kelowna that couldn't be executed at one point because of the smoke. And, you know, singers don't want to be out there singing and doing that. We had radio station remotes were supposed to live broadcast. They didn't happen because the announcers didn't want to be out in the smoke and their companies didn't want them to. Totally understand that. But we also did Arts in the Avenue. And it was jammed. So we call those two things the neighborhood plaza and the community square, the 400 and 500 blocks. So that's where we executed. We had festivals, Kelowna put their arts in the avenue there. It was extremely well attended. The first live performance in July, there must have been 500 people on that street. Mm -hmm. So it, those kinds of things work. 
But again, we were up against it last year. And naively enough, we thought at the beginning in the committee between ourselves, the city and Tourism Kelowna, that, oh, we'll be able to really show that this works. But <laughs> so 2022, wow, we're really going to show <laughs> that this can work. <laughs> um, I want to get into downtown and, and the events, because I, I don't think we were very good with uh, mentioning when it is and all that kind of stuff. Right. But before I get into that, you're a huge vinyl guy. <laughs> so yes i am so uh you know the people listening maybe uh you've done the research obviously you have a heavy background in in uh, all things music so give give us uh maybe top three and i'm gonna get put a modifier on it top three evening summer evening so a little bit lighter instead of heavy mm -hmm. you know there's there's dense music and then there's right. lighter music what, what would you put on uh, the old record player? What would be three that are just surefire, no matter what crowd, this is going to lift them up for summertime? Tapestry, Carol King, first one. Okay. okay. Excellent, excellent album. Um, I would also, you know, much to Janet's chagrin, I'd, uh, I would put on uh, Abbey Road by the Beatles. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, my, uh, she's, Janet's never been a really big fan of... Janet being your wife. Yes, of the Beatles or stuff, which is fine. Um, you know, uh, when we first started dating, she dragged me to a Barry Manilow concert, and I was absolutely enthralled because once you get to that level of a performer, the band that's behind you is at that level too. And it mm -hmm. was just my father and mother, myself, we were all musicians. And uh, so it, it, at one point in our life, long time ago for me. Uh, so there was that. And other album that I would put on is I have, when I was a disc jockey at dances and weddings, when I was like 18, 19 years old, mm -hmm. I had a best of Motown. Oh. double set that's required yeah. because it's all over there's all kinds of different parts of motown included on this give, give me an artist stevie wonder uh geez you know uh one of my favorites smoky robinson tears of a clown's on there yeah there's that's just that's some a good one really great music out of uh, a label that grew into five houses in downtown Detroit, and that's how it operated. I mean, it's just a great story. <laughs> so, uh, so going back to the Beatles, like I mean, for me, and and maybe it's Canadian content for me, uh, things get overplayed. That's how I associate Canadian content sometimes. Well, it's, we're in Canada, and yeah. it's regulated, and that's why. <laughs> what is the percentage per hour that the stations have to play? Uh, for stations that were licensed a long time ago, it's 35%. That changed in the late 90s from 30. Uh, newer licenses that come on the air now, um, we have a couple of them here in town, uh, it's 40%. And that's where you really notice it, at, particularly in what we call a gold um, a gold format where they're playing a lot of older music. So that's when you tend to hear a lot of like Neil Young, the Guess Who, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, because, and that's where I go with with the Beatles. Is over the years I've heard a lot of Beatles. We all have, sure. But on Abbey, would you say that there's more more stuff that people maybe haven't heard as much? Yeah, there's a bunch of. Uh, it's one of their better records. I mean, it's iconic in the 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 cover with the yeah, Beatles the imagery, walking yeah. across there. I actually found a poster back in this would have been two thousand and three of that 
uh, album cover where Paul McCartney has the cigarette in his hand because there was a 20-year period there. The anti-smoking movement had that, and it was taken out. Interesting. So there was a, all kinds of copies of that poster around where Paul McCartney doesn't have the cigarette in his right hand. He does on the album that I have now and this poster, and I had it framed and had it on the wall for quite a few years. So, But it, it's it's a great... And it's also iconic because that's what they named their studio, right? Right. Uh, the one thing I wanted to mention is, so I went, I would say, in the off times for Meet Me on Bernard. I was blown away with, was it the three and four block, 300 and 400 block? Were those, those would be the ones, um, just trying to think. 200 and 300 are from Sales to Pandozi. Okay. 400 and 500 are from Pandozi to St. Paul. Got it. So there were... Now, I'm, I'm trying to think of, there was a lot of art, and there was a lot of activities. Mm -hmm. You call it animating? Animating. We're animating the space, yeah. We also had parklets. The uh, AI art, the, if you put the Ogle app on your phone and held it up to those the art that was in the frames attached at various spots throughout those blocks, that art actually came to life on your phone, and you could record it. And do that. We have a actually we have a video of that on the downtown Kelowna YouTube page if you want to check it out. So I'm. This is the most controversial part of our interview. Okay, you ready for it? Yeah, I'm waiting. You put a lot of energy and resources into getting people down there, mm -hmm. and is it is it too manufactured, or do we get was it successful in your eyes? Because it seemed like you're driving a lot of work towards getting people down there because there was there's not as much pubs and restaurants and stuff mm -hmm. to gather people. Mm -hmm. um, why was that? Like, what, why was that decision made and, and was it successful? Well, there was a point uh, that after the first year that everybody in meetings and, you know, planning meetings wondered if we should only do 200 and 300 as a closure. Uh, but, you know, ultimately decided and I think it was the right decision that we're just going to have to keep doing this until we get it right. Now, Brooklyn is just being populated now. So once those buildings, the office building is up there and we're going to have more residential up there, now you're going to have either end of the block with a lot of people in there. In that 400 block, which would be from Pandozi to Ellis, uh, neighborhood plaza, it's that old building that's been there for years with the green face on it with nothing in it uh, is now being redone. It's been purchased by a new owner. There's an Anytime Fitness going in there. There's a restaurant, a couple of restaurants going in there. That'll add it. Restaurants bring people downtown, and that's what makes them walk and move around. So our thing was, let's take advantage of all those people down in those blocks and pull them up. How do we pull them up into the 400 and 500 block? So we tried, you know, like you said, the art, the parklets were up there, the sonotube displays were up there. And again, we were up behind the eight ball the whole, whole summer again with whatever. We're hoping not this year. So this year, uh, we've added new things to it. We're bringing back our block party that we did for 30 years. Uh, the last one was in 2019. We're going to do a version of that. It's not going to be as big or anything, but concentrates 
mostly in 400 and 500 with a little bit of bleeding down into the 300 block. We're doing a show and shine with some hot rods in August. We're doing the city's plan for the world's biggest yoga class. I can't wait to see how that happens. <laughs> um, festivals, clones back with lots of entertainment. So, you know, the, the, those are the things that I believe and we believe as a committee are what going to pull all that traffic from the lower blocks up into those blocks and thing is a lot of that stuff like entertainment that happens from like four till seven so it bleeds into the evening hours as well so like you said it depends on what time of the day you're there right mm-hmm. mark the the red shirts i i always call them the red shirts everybody and I, does I, <laughs> and it i and i'm a guy that's watched star trek and they're not the the people that you know stay on the planet while everyone flies off they're they're actually uh like I see them everywhere. Mm-hmm. How much training goes into what they do? Because it seems like, and I've been a part of a couple of different instances, interactions they've had with with people with mental health issues. And it seems like they just, they have a protocol. They have a process. Is that is that true? Or are they trained on a certain process? Yeah. Ron Bowen, who is the on-street services manager, is also the guy who created the program and has worked it into what it is now. Um, Ron, all of his experience is just that. It comes from experience. But the underlying um, modus operandi for those guys is hands-off. They don't touch people. They also don't start yelling and screaming back at people. Uh, That's not to say that hasn't happened because everybody's human and sometimes they've had enough. We started them on new mental health training uh, early in 2020 and we got two of them into a Saturday class and then they all got canceled. So when those come back, we'll end up putting them back in those as well. But most, they're all security licensed, but they're not security guards. So they've had that training on how they stand and how you approach a person so that you don't antagonize the situation. Right. So, you know, these people that we have in downtown Oklahoma, we have both men and women on it, and our clean team too, who have to deal with the same things like incidents that I think I know what you're referring to. And, um, and they do it calmly. And, you know, if we do a thousand calls, for downtown on call over a given period of time. We probably only call the police a little over a hundred times. Jeez, that that would just alleviate like the RCMP must be doing cartwheels about this this program. Well, you know, uh Superintendent Triance was in front of council and, and she was going year over year of first quarter stats and there was 1865 calls for downtown. Um, that the RCMP did, we did 1,317 in that same period. (laughs) So, you know, and we have a great working relationship with the RCMP, particularly with the uh, community safety unit, uh, the foot patrol officers. Uh, After a couple of years, we know them all by first name. We have some new faces uh, this year, again, moving around the bike patrols. And it's working. And that was a big thing for me when I got into this position and finally figured it out was we have to have good working relationships with RCMP, the city, and bylaw. And it it's paying off now. And it came from a really bad place. <laughs> the downtown street team. 
Well, the relationships that have been built. Right. So there, and, and you touched on it earlier, but just explain that a little bit of, of a, the event, but B, how that came into being and why, why those partnerships and why those connections really do help downtown? Because it seems like unless you had those great working relationships, a lot of the, the success we're enjoying today wouldn't, wouldn't be happening. Exactly. So in 2019, which would have been my first summer, we, um, we ended up with a tent city along Leon from Abbott to Water. Um, it was more and more difficult every day to move. Um, and we, so I'm on the phone with Byla, I'm on the phone with the city, RCMP saying, like, we need some help here, like, what's going on? But without realizing that, for example, the police had already been by there at 7 o'clock in the morning, but it was still there at 9 o'clock in the morning, and that bylaw had been through trying to pull stuff out. So we ended up where we had this concentration of people on that part of Leon, and it was messy and it was dirty, and we and it was unhealthy. So we uh, all sat in a room, uh, the police, bylaw, representatives from the city, myself and Ron, and we came up with a plan that because the way the law reads, if there aren't enough beds for homeless people in a city, then the people who are homeless have the right to sleep outdoors and can. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. So what came out of that was the off-site camps that the city have developed, uh, like the one that's over uh, off of Richter and near the rail trail right now um and there's a, actually a daytime place going to be opened up by the city for where they can go and, and not be harassed so we were going through this whole thing in 2019 it started third week of july and we were there till the end of october every day and what we did is we asked everybody to move so we could clean the sidewalk because there were no facilities so I don't need to expand on that. We actually ended up where we brought a couple of porta potties down. But from that, all of a sudden, Mark knew Ken from Bylaw and David and Ryan from the RCMP and Sam and Mike. So we all got to know each other by a first name. And I think you'd know this as well as I do. It's a lot easier to pick up a phone and say, hey, it's Ken in Mm -hmm. and it's Mark from the DKA. If those kinds of things, things get done quicker and in a reasonable manner. And we all know the boundaries that what we can do. So we're not going to ask the RCMP to do something that we know they can't do right. or bylaw. So that's where all those relationships came from. And they continue to this day, even through the pandemic. And I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud of each one of those agencies because they continue to seek out these relationships in a positive manner. So it's it's interesting how uh, you know an unfortunate event really did create the building blocks for something very successful to this day, mm-hmm. yeah. and and it, we build on it all the time, and we talk with when Superintendent Trians was in front of council, she talked about the meetings between the agencies, and she's not just blowing smoke. That happens, and we really do do that, and we are acting on the best interests of our membership to the best of our abilities. So you have this downtown on call, the red shirt teams, which is nine people working various shifts in teams of two. They cross over so we can have more on who are covering a 42 block radius, but tend to be 
be where they're needed. Right. And we're, this isn't a problem for us to fix. It's a problem for us to manage to the best of our ability. And then the clean team's in behind them, helping clean up where we have to. And the thing is, all these guys, all the red shirts, they know all the usual suspects, and they know them all by first name. And all the usual suspects know them by the first name. As you know, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about music this whole afternoon. <laughs> Downtown Kelowna has seen a lot of different artists and and is there any for you that have that have stood out like a concert that just struck you that was really a a, a wonderful night and and you you felt blessed to be in the company Santana of, 2020 at Prospera Place really it was amazing we sat down in the seat and they come out and they start it's an instrumental uh song that they're playing and the screens are all woodstock from 1969 behind them and it's up there's stills there's video and there's all all that kind of stuff and when they're done the song carlos santa of course everybody's screaming and yelling yeah. and they're all old like me and <laughs> they're uh he gets up the microphone and he says yeah i hope you enjoyed all the woodstock that was the song that we played at woodstock Wow. Yeah. And in his biography, he talks. The only thing he remembers about Woodstock is flying in on the helicopter and seeing the sea of people in mud because he was a drug addict. So he did another hit and, you know, no. So <laughs> amazing thing about Carlos Santana, he can't read music or anything. He has to have people transpose it for him. So we go through this concert. So two, an hour and 45 minutes in this concert, they're still going and they're going amazing lady drummer with these really cool sparkly jeweled running shoes on and and a, uh, her 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 bass drums were all clear so you could see everything going on back there and she went into this 10 minute drum solo and i've always done that at concert because my dad was a drummer so as soon as somebody goes into a, a drum solo i take a note of the time and see how long it is and she was amazing and the crowd goes crazy and he gets Carlos comes up and introduces her and says, isn't that great? He says, I loved her so much. I proposed her on stage two years ago. That's my wife. And here's her name. <laughs> she was Lenny Kravitz's drummer for all of his hits. Really? So that that's why that concert's so memorable to me. Also memorable to me was $10 a ticket for Katy Perry before she was really popular at one of the nightclubs downtown. It, isn't it funny, though, you, you, uh, you find an artist that you can tell they love it as much as you do. Like they love being on stage. Mm -hmm. Like you can see the passion. Obviously talent is, is well, wonderful. Yeah. Um, and Santana is one of those guys that uh, Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20 said, one of the most talented musicians he's ever met or ever will meet. Because mm -hmm. he said he, he just, as you said, doesn't read music. It, it's almost like it goes through him. Yeah, it's a feel. It's, I can't, you know, um, I tried to play guitar once. Man, that's hard. Oh, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's why I played flute and piano. I mean, it was easy. I play the spoons. <laughs> now, I'm pretty good at drumming on the counter, too. But he, 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 to me, because he's been a part of my musical experience since I can remember. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I come from a musical family. Um, the very first album I ever bought was Three Dog Night Live at the Farm in 1969. It is framed and on the wall in my living room above the vinyl uh, and the turntable. But 
it so being at, the kids bought us the tickets for Christmas, and so we went to it was in January, and we just had a blast. The whole evening was great. We went to the Delta for something to eat before, and Oak and Crew, and then Kate went across there, and then we went out for a drink after at the Yacht Club, and so it was it was just a really really good evening. But it was really cool for me to uh, think, man, this guy's been part of my life and my listening patterns. And then when we got home, I realized how many of the albums we have. <laughs> and I'm missing a Braxas, so i got to go to Underground Music and see if they've got it. Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm pretty sure he does. Because they're listening to this right now going, we got to get it. we got to get it to Mark. <laughs> so, Mark, you, you and I are both uh, in the media, yep. so to speak. And uh, we find, and, and I have a a filter on my news that I can accept during the day. And you and I chatted about this. Mm-hmm. You get to a point where you're almost like I, I took uh, my stock app off my phone because I realized it was creating too much stress for the information it was giving right. me. And, and I know it's a long-term game and all that kind of stuff, but there's, it, it's funny how I get my news at a certain point. I have a cutoff switch, and and you do too. Explain, yeah. explain why you did you initiate that in the last few years, or has that always been the way you've operated? No, uh, I mean you know all those years in radio, it's kind of hard to avoid news because it's part of what you do. And um, I, you know, one of the worst experiences I had in radio was uh, Newtown that weekend. Uh, was that really irreparably damaged me emotionally for a long time you know and again recently with more children being shot in the united states uh, it's those kinds of things that you know you don't know how it's going to affect you so during starting in 2020 with all this pandemic stuff and none of us really knowing what's going on and all that kind of thing i was just like everybody else watching the news when i got up in the morning and you know seeking it out online while I was going through my work day and then again when I got home at night and as this whole situation has changed my thinking about it changed at the same time and was going and I started to question myself and where I was getting my information from Um, and then I thought you know what there's just too much negativity and it got scary for me, and I think I was actually letting it affect me from a mood standpoint. I'm generally a pretty happy person. Uh, I have a great life. I have fabulous family and friends. I get to work with great people, and yet I was dragging my butt around it. And I just found that watching all that news, um, reading all that news, just wasn't doing me any good emotionally or from a mental health standpoint that you know I don't need to be snapping off at Jan at home because I'm in a bad mood because I read too much news that day or you know my grandkids or you know which I never do but you know you're afraid that that's going to permeate the whole household so now as we were talking about before I just choose not to seek all that stuff out I'm more a headline reader now and if there's something that I think intrigues me that I need to read, then I seek it out from source news sources that I trust. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the key. Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, news sources in Canada I really don't trust. So, uh, and there's a couple in the United States too. But, you know, that being said, there are writers that I trust implicitly. So I will search out their opinion on whatever that topic is. 
I heard recently, Mark, that the the facility, Prospera Place, is mm-hmm. is in disrepair. Uh, the rockets are obviously um, doing their very best. They're, uh, the diplomacy is at its highest point, I'm sure. But they're really failing on getting another Memorial Cup bid because there's some certain discrepancies that they cannot get around for their bid. Um, is this something that's going to be resolved, you hope, in the next couple of years, three years? Or is it just seemingly that's just the way it is? And and uh... Well, I hope so. From what I understand, it was when we were awarded the Memorial Cup previously, it was with the WHL was up to them. Now it's up with the Canadian Hockey League. So the, some of those parameters and restrictions or whatever have changed, and that's where this comes from. Um, I was on the uh, Memorial Cup committee for 2020 that we had to end because of the pandemic. Um, the Rockets are really important to downtown, especially in the wintertime. They bring a lot of people downtown for dinner. Uh, people go out after the game. Uh, th- those kind, you know, that kind of thing for downtown. Um, interestingly, uh, when I still lived back in Ontario, the, my office partner is also one of my best friends, Paul Osborne. We're running a radio station at uh, a college. And uh, he came with the Guelph Storm to Kelowna in 2004 for the Memorial Cup. And the Storm were great, and they tanked here. And <laughs> so when I told him I'd been offered a job in Kelowna, he just called me a lucky you-know-what. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, I, I, I love junior hockey from the standpoint. It's so real. They're, we're not at that money stage yet. Mm-hmm. Agreed. They're hungry. They're yeah. tenacious, yeah. everything else. No. So I sure hope that it'll get uh, resolved. I saw a headline that said that a representative GSL said, can we just all cool our jets here? And so hopefully something good comes out of that. At least they're talking. No, and that and that's just it is, is hopefully more people around the table. And, and I know that, uh, you know, as with any problem, there's uh, maybe two sides to it and then what actually is happening. So <laughs> That's probably, like everything in life. Yeah. Okay, Mark, I have to ask you, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, but uh, you you live, work, uh, live downtown. Is there, a, is there a restaurant spot that people should try? Maybe they don't even know about it, but it's, it's someplace you've, you've enjoyed maybe dining at. And I know, I, and, and again, let's put it out there. Mark is a big fan of everything, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but, Every restaurant is awesome. <laughs> but is there... Is there one or two in particular that you think people maybe have not given them the time? And, you know, there's some big ones, big chain ones downtown. But is there any other ones that you think just a bit off the beaten path and and perhaps we should all attend at some point? Because we're attracting people downtown. Mm-hmm. What would be a couple of suggestions for you? I was thought Enigo Pizza is a cool place because mm-hmm. the pizzas are different and they're cooked really fast. And it's it's a different experience from a food thing. I'm not a foodie. So, you know, I don't tend to uh, venture out into food choices that I'm not comfortable with. Um, I remember when I first got this job that we had a meeting at Soban, which is a Korean-Vietnamese restaurant on Bernard, Hmm. uh, up near St. Paul. Uh, Delicious food there. I've been back a few times since then. Uh, We seem to have a glut of Mexican everywhere and every yeah. one of them I've been to is is good. I really uh when we were doing the business walks for the Chamber of Commerce and and UDI the um 
we went into uh, Celticero on Ellis Street to speak with the owners there. And the chef is from Mexico. They were getting ready to go back home to go to some courses to learn more. So that would be a great place. And, you know, you can never go wrong with Central. You can never go wrong with, if you want pub fare, going to train station. Leopold's is a unique experience. Leopold's, where's that? It's the old Fernando's. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. And, uh, you know, they have their own beers, and they have lots of uh, album covers on one of the walls. You can pick your own music. They have all kinds of different st- There's not a bare spot in the walls because it's all got this stuff on <laughs> yeah. it, and it has an Ogopogo hanging from the from the ceiling. So there's lots of play. Mia Mori is great for coffee as well, too, in the morning. So Yeah. See, look at that. You, you nailed it without even trying, right? <laughs> Mosaic is downtown. Mm-hmm. Is there a book that has struck you in the last year that uh, maybe people should read? Uh, you know, I used to read a lot of biographies. I'd have a biography and a fiction going at the same time. Me too. Me life. too. Love biographies. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, some of them are great. I've read a lot of rock and roll ones. Stephen Tyler's is quite interesting. Uh, so is Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, Eric Clapton takes a little while to get into. That's a good one. Uh, but I've, I've found there's an author who writes serial black ops stuff, and his name is Ben Coase, C-O-E-S. And he has the same hero, just like a Vince Flynn or Brad Thor have their oh, heroes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jack Reacher yeah. and Mitch, Mitch Rapp. See, yeah. I can't read the Jack Reacher series because it's written in first person. Oh. And I can't read first person unless it's a biography. Interesting. Uh, I just find it, I don't want somebody else to describe to me the scene. That's what I love about fiction. It's a picture in your mind and your your own little world. So honestly, because of life and the way it's gone, I haven't read as much as I'd like to because our family are big readers. My son Ryan's a huge reader. and um, But Ben Coe's, I would just... Say it's like a fun romp. It's a good read. Okay. Okay. So Ben Coe's and what's the book? Just Ben. Oh, any one of any anyone. one of them because there's a new one every year. Okay, and go down to Mosaic Books by yep. chance. Yep. <laughs> okay. And if they don't have it, talk to Alicia. She'll get it for you. Got it. I wanted to find out is you know, and and it might take us a, a couple of different uh, chats here to figure this out. But is there a future for downtown? You you must have a, a purpose, an idea, a direction in mind. What what is what does downtown look like for you in the future uh, as people keep streaming into this popular city of ours? Lots of people moving around on all the streets. I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in five years. Uh, UBCO will be down there, so we'll have all those students uh, taking classes. Then out after classes, going to restaurants, buying clothes, uh, shoes. Uh, you know, we have a new shoe store that has a, a pair of running shoes for nine hundred and thirty-eight dollars. You know, it, 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 is it hype? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My daughter wants to go down there. Yeah, yeah. 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 I hope your credit card's oh, no, a I... big limit. Yeah, no, but uh, but they also have you know like two hundred dollar shoes as well, which mm-hmm. is kind of an average price for a really good running shoe now. So. But getting, and all the residences, you know, the, all those people who live there who aren't hopping in their car to go somewhere else. They're just coming down the elevator, coming out the front doors and going wherever it is they want to go. 
And I, that's what I see. I see, you know, there's only so much land. That's one of the reasons we're going up. And uh, that just means that people will be moving around. They won't be worried about getting a parking spot. They won't be worried about, you know, safety and security because there's safety and security in numbers. And we're going to have, I think it's 1,700 new occupancy permits coming online in just the next couple of years downtown. Amazing. Looking forward to that, actually. Yeah, me too. So, Mark, it's been an enjoyable few hours and uh, can't thank you enough. I wanted to touch on one last thing. I mean, we're going to have more chats because this is just too much fun. And we, <laughs> we always get to talking, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, what in your eyes, is there anybody that you would like to, uh, you know, thank or give appreciation to that, is, that has helped you in your job and, and just been a champion for downtown that, I mean, there's lots of people takes a village all that kind of stuff but is there any anybody that comes to mind that you say like listen i i just want to take a few moments to thank them well collectively the board of directors has been fabulous for me uh, especially since i don't have any experience when i came into this uh in their guidance and good listeners and all that but in particular uh our outgoing path who our president who's now past president yardan garshoni uh yardan um well, first of all, he hired me, so he's got to be very smart. What a good guy. <laughs> what a real good guy right there. Um, uh, he, Yardan has been super helpful and has, you know, implicitly trusted me. And, and when somebody trusts you that way, mm-hmm. you do better things, I think. So, you know, f- I've really enjoyed working with Yardan. We continue to work together. Uh, and the board as a whole has been really good. Brian Stevenson is now our president from Pusher Mitchell, and I'm looking forward to working with him because he's been part of that board and executive since I started. Um, you know, I w- my staff, uh, I just can't say enough good things about them. Um, I never, I hate that term, my staff, but how else do you say it? Uh, I, I prefer to just let people do their thing. I don't like hanging over people's shoulders. I'm not a micromanager. I'm not a helicopter boss. Uh, I just prefer to guide people and let them do their thing. I don't believe that people have to be in an office from nine to five to get things done. Uh, we pay people to do a job and, and they all do a great job. And that's why we ended up, uh, Meet Me on Bernard won that BIABC award for the whole province for uh, programming and partnerships. And we won an award for Winter Street Market Mm -hmm. because of all the great work. And that's all our staff that puts that together, very small staff. And then, of course, On Street Services winning an award of excellence. So that takes really good people. And it takes really good people who really give a hoot. And that's what we have. So all of the staff, and I can't thank them enough because without them, we wouldn't be getting anything done. So are we going to start referring to it as the award-winning Downtown Cologne Association? Sure. Why not? I'm happy with that. 